Welcome to Energy Renewed, a podcast by ICF, a meeting of the minds in renewable energy where people come together to discuss ideas and synergies to propel the industry forward. I'm Katie Janik from ICF and the host of Energy Renewed. ICF provides technical advisory services to lenders, investors, and project owners for renewable energy technologies and processes. In this podcast series, we will consider varying viewpoints, ranging from policy topics to equipment components. Hi there. In this episode, we are discussing the impact of COVID-19 on financing debt and equity investments for renewable energy projects. We are in an unprecedented situation, and as consultants and generally within the industry, we are asking, how is COVID impacting transactions? Today, we have Steve Becker from the ICF Technical Advisory Team, as well as representatives from U.S. Bank and CIT to speak about the current situation from the perspective of lenders and tax equity investors. Hi, Steve. Hi. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you. Uh, Steve Becker, I've been uh, uh, in the industry, in the power industry, as a consultant now for over 20 years, um, and during that time, I've been able to experience a number of um, you know, ups and downs in the industry due to various events, including recessions and, and changes in technology and so forth. And, you know, during that time, there's, you know, in particular, I work in the transaction space um, and with developers and, and in, in some cases working with lenders uh, um, from, a, from a bankruptcy standpoint as well. Uh, but during this, um, you know, during that time as a consultant, I've always been a Interested to see how it impacts the the, uh, the the financial community these various events and you know COVID is no different. I, um, we've had our own experiences in terms of um, changes that we've seen in terms of focuses on on um, you know uh, various aspects of our due diligence like um, project schedules and and um, and uh, the the O and M piece and and so forth and so. Uh, but what I'm really interested in is trying to understand more on the financial side how that's impacted, how COVID has impacted that. And so with that said, we have two great uh, guests today, Whitney Hampton, who is a senior project manager in the RETC group at U.S. Bank Community Development Corporation, and Dan Miller, who's managing director in CIT's energy group. Whitney, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, of course. Um, first of all, um, I just want to say thank you, Steve and Katie, for having us on. Um, I you know, just appreciate the opportunity to get on and share my experience. Um, so as Steve said, my name is Whitney Hampton. I am a senior project manager in the Renewable Energy Group um, at U.S. Bank CDC. Um, so my job is, um, is pro- uh, as project manager um, is an underwriter. So I underwrite every element of and, um, and close transactions. I've been closing deals for five and a half years for the bank, and every year seems to present its own sort of unique set of challenges, and I would say this year has been no exception. Um, I've been very much in the trenches um, just because I've had to deal with the complications that the COVID crisis has brought on firsthand. Um, I would also say that my point of view tends to be more deal-specific for that reason, but I can also just speak to what we're seeing across our you know, overall portfolio and across the market in general. Dan? Hi, everyone, and, and thank you also to the ICF team for having me. Um, I think this is a great idea, and I'm excited to be included in the discussion. Um, you know, as far as my background goes, I've been financing renewable and traditional energy projects for a little over 12 years. Uh, and at CIT, I'm responsible for originating and structuring debt transactions for primarily large renewable energy projects 
uh, that tend to be on the higher end of the complexity scale. Uh, a large, a lot of my clients uh, that I cover seem to be at the forefront of this massive energy transition. So our team spends a lot of time in what we call the lab, designing structures to address merchant risk, basis risk, low rated or not rated, offtake counterparties, as well as technologies like battery storage and all the fund revenue streams that come with that asset class. So never really a dull moment um, and very exciting. Um, but as far as the past five months have gone, Cynthia has been very active, leading fairly sizable transactions. So you know, I look forward to sharing the, the key takeaways from those experience with the experiences with you and uh, your listeners. Well, thank you both. Um, so one of the things that we heard, you know, as consultants very early on when COVID was just, um, you know, in the thick of it and in February and March, was that the pricing has changed um, from a lender standpoint, and um, not so much for existing uh, projects that were already being worked on, but but more from the standpoint of, of new projects that were coming down the line. Can you speak a little bit to that, Dan? You know, for deals that you know needed to close in the March to May, to May timeframe, yeah, you know, we saw lenders within the syndicate you know needing a material increase in pricing to get the deals done, as a lot of them were you know trying to determine what exactly their funding costs were and, you know, whether or not they were in uh, even open for business at the time. You know, I would say that while the pricing on the margin had increased, um, the overall cost of debt was probably the same or even potentially lower just because um, the LIBOR rate at the time had dropped um, so significantly. So the sponsors, um, you know, definitely understood the situation and um, their economics weren't materially impacted. Um, I would say going forward, you know, while the PF market has started to stabilize quite a bit, um, there's still some pricing overhang due to higher bank funding costs and capital allocation constraints at, at some of the banks. But I would say that relative to pre-COVID levels, um, the, uh, you know, the pricing is anywhere increasing from 25 bips to, to 100 bips based on what, you know, we call the big three. Uh, the sponsor, the complexity of the transaction, and, and the size of the transaction. Since most of the deals we work on are at the higher end of the complexity scale, uh, the importance of the sponsor um, and the size of the transaction will really dictate, you know, where within that 25 to 100 bit range um, the transaction will ultimately price. And and uh, from a due diligence standpoint, you know, our as I was speaking earlier, you know, from a, as a consultant, we've uh, you know, it's changed quite a bit for us in terms of our areas of focus. We have much more focus on you know certain aspects of the contracts, of project schedules, knowing where equipment is is coming from, and and and, and force majeure provisions, and and uh, and force majeure notices, which is something that we've. We've experienced much more um, as consultants when we're looking at these transactions. But I wonder how that's impacted the lenders and, and their area of focus. Whitney, would you like to start? Sure. Yeah. So I would you know, echo all of that. Um, I would say um, we've spent a great deal of time sifting through those, you know, those various contract provisions and force reserve provisions and of you know all the various deadline dates. Um, in doing so, I think we probably had to cast a bit wider net than we have, you know, in the past, um, just to capture some of those events and circumstances um, that are sort of new to the situation. Um, so, for example, you know, I had to keep myself apprised of, um, you know, various 
state mandates and stop construction orders and things like that. And, you know, and think about how those things are impacting program requirements and my project's timelines and things of that nature. Um, and then, you know, of course, like you mentioned, we've also, um, you know, been facing potential supply chain issues. Um, one of the first questions that I'm asking my partners now is where's your equipment and where is it coming from if it's not already on U.S. soil? <laughs> Um, and it's not just the equipment itself, but it's also the components that are used in making that equipment, um, because even those things are causing delays. Um, and that, of course, is you know a much bigger issue um, in the beginning when all of this was first unfolding, and and things have loosened up quite a bit. But um, but in the beginning, it was very interesting to see that you know our sponsors were having to make some very tough choices about their equipment and where it was coming from and what they were selecting for their projects. Um, and it definitely um, was a complicating factor um, just in terms of, you know, IE reports, because every time they every time they have to change that, you know, it has to filter throughout the entire deal. Um, so it, it made, you know, things interesting. Um, and then, of course, I would also just say um, that we are, um, you know, sorting through all the various buffers and construction deadlines and 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 you know, making sure that, you know, we're not pushing up against um, PPA cliff dates or um, debt maturity dates. Um, and then where necessary and where it is too tight, we are asking partners to go back um, and renegotiate those deadlines if possible. Um, so again, it's it's kind of, um, you know, necessitated some tougher conversations. Um, but, you know, I, I would say I, I think we're finding our way through it. Thanks. And Dan, how about you? What's your experience been? Yeah, I definitely share the same experiences as Whitney. Um, from, from that perspective, the only point I would add is that you know, during construction, our primary focus um, has really been on the tax equity sunset date, uh, just because that date you know, doesn't typically benefit from some of the force majeure relief you know, that the PPAs do. You know, so on every deal, we're having the independent engineer, you know, run, you know, a two-month delay scenario on both, you know, the equipment side um, as well as the installation side of the equation to ensure that there's adequate cushion um, to that date. You know, if there is adequate uh, buffer to that date, then, you know, we're, we're fine with pursuing. Um, otherwise, um, you know, we'll typically have to more formally um, transfer that risk to the sponsor. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, including additional uh, defaults tied to milestones or, um, you know, needing, you know, additional credit support um, in, in, in one shape or form. Um, you, you know, I, I think that, you know, assuming that, that's, still, that's definitely a, a case-by-case basis, though, um, because the deals that we're doing now, um, assuming it takes a year to build some of these large projects and the tax equity investor you know, wants to fund their investment in 2021, um, you know, those CODs are placed in service dates are happening in the, in the you know, June 2021 timeframe. So there's, you know, sufficient buffer to absorb any, you know, COVID delays. But um, where this could be um, pretty impactful going forward is some of the late Q3, early Q4 transactions um, if the tax equity investor is extremely intent on utilizing 2021 tax capacity, and it takes a year for those projects to get built. You know, we're definitely um, going to, you know, need to even provide even greater scrutiny um, to the construction schedule um, than than done previously. And so, having you know very diligent IEs like ICF, you know, that are willing to dig into the nitty gritty of the schedule, you know, has been and you know, frankly will continue to be critical in, in getting all these deals done. 
One thing that um, you know we've we've experienced, or the one thing that I thought in the beginning, or I've heard in the beginning from some of the um, from some of the owners of assets, uh, renewable assets specifically, is uh, that they they plan on hanging on to their uh, their assets a little bit longer, as they thought that you know the the, the market was not good enough to bring. Um, you know, maybe the the buyer pool was not as as robust as it used to be. So I'm wondering how how has it impacted your the future pipeline of of assets that are coming? You know, for uh, for transactions. Um, you know, for for debt and and uh, tax equity. Whitney. So I would say, um, as a as a project manager, I have not felt that at all. I've um, as busy as ever. Um, I'm happy to report that at least for us, we really aren't seeing any indications of that or any indications of our pipeline slowing down. Um, we actually have a <clears throat> a really robust pipeline at the moment, um, and we may even have some opportunity to increase it um, later this year. I would also say though that we're still seeing a lot of syndication activity, which is great. Um, so U.S. Bank holds about 50%, and then we syndicate about 50%. Um, and, and some of our syndicated investors, especially in the beginning, um, kind of slowed down a little bit. Um, but as far as I'm aware, none of them have stepped away from the table, which is, um, of course, great for us because that opens up more, more capacity for us. Um, this is probably a good segue to Dan, but I would say that the issue I've seen more is, um, is partner access to debt. Um, we're just seeing lender, lending institutions um, that are either um, pausing or slowing down their tar targets or they're just... Um, more hesitant to extend um, credit or commitments. Um, but for us, I don't think that we've seen the volume of deal change um, and I don't expect it to, but I think that we'll probably just see things um, slip into 2021. Uh, it's funny because uh, the sponsors typically tell us that uh, they're waiting to sign up tax equity to get going. Uh, hopefully uh, ICF can um, go into further detail in their de uh, COVID-19 developer edition I um, mean, can settle this de debate once and for all. Um, I, I, but all kidding aside, uh, we were already, you know, seeing a fairly sizable Q3, Q4 pipeline pre-COVID. So um, some of the deals that were delayed um, as a result of COVID and spilling into, you know, Q3, Q4 from, you know, Q1, Q2 um, should make for a pretty interesting fall and, and holiday season, to be honest. Uh, and on top of that, most of these projects getting developed are not straightforward or layup type deals. They all have been, you know, pretty high on the on the you know with the complexity characteristics I was mentioning uh, before. So while there are likely 50 or so, you know, consistently active banks um, in the project finance market, only 10 or so are willing to do the work uh, associated with understanding the risk these new age transactions present. So while on the one hand this is great news for for banks like CIT, you know, who are very experienced in analyzing pricing and, and structuring around you know these new age profiles, um, the pace of this massive energy transition may be slowed if if banks don't really roll up their sleeves and um, because there's there will be a sizable void um, over the next year as you know these these projects continue to get more complex and interesting. Um, you know, so it'll be interesting to see if the pace of uh, the education of, of banks coming in to support them um, can can meet meet that um, or not. 
It's interesting that you mentioned these new age assets and that Steve mentioned owners wanting to hold on to the assets for a little bit longer because some of the key takeaways from the episode that we have with um, from the developer standpoint is innovation, adaptation, rolling with it, right? Um, really adapting to what's happening in the current situation in the market and being flexible. Yeah, great. That's it's great to hear that the pipeline is, is still as robust as it was before. Um, I guess with time being relatively short, um, how, are there any uh, closing statements, Whitney? Um, you want to start? I would just say I think we can all agree that the industry is very challenging right now for a number of reasons, not just because of COVID. Um, but I think um, I think the industry is actually weathering the COVID storm itself um, quite well. Um, it, it certainly adds a layer of complexity to our transactions, um, and of course we're. Um, you know, asking more of our partners um, from an underwriting side. But my experience thus far has been that, um, that you know, sponsors and third parties are proving themselves to be very flexible and resilient. And I, um, my hope and my thought is that they will continue to do so. Yeah, I would just add that um, pre-COVID-19, I felt like we were getting into a groove with a lot of the traditional project finance banks that were used to simply Financing 20-year bus bar PPAs um, um, and and you know going home, um, you know we're, we're understood that there was a transition uh, that we were going through, and it was important to really roll up their sleeves and 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 do the work associated with the new assets and support their clients. Um, I think you know COVID-19 you know has obviously you know put put a damper on on some of the progress that we're ma- making. Um, then in, in the March and April timeframe, I was, you know, nervous that we we would never get back to um, where we were prior to COVID-19. But it seems like a lot of definitely getting a lot of calls from you know reverse inquiries from banks um, saying we're open for business. We still have the same budget budgets that we had previously. So you know what what do you have to to show us? And you know so I, I think that you know we've we've missed five five months of of opportunity to continue to progress towards um, making progress on the energy transition. But, um, you know, that doesn't mean that, um, you know, we, we can't overcome um, that time and with, with a lot of hard work. So um, from that perspective, I'm, opportunist, I'm uh, optimistic on uh, the future for these types of assets. Well, thank you. really appreciate having both of you today. It was uh, very enlightening and um hope that um, it's always interesting to see how resilient the power markets are and uh, seem to be as well here, uh, given this uh, current event. Yes, thank you for being here today. I'm happy we were able to do this. Great. Thank you so much for having us again. Yep. Thank you both.